a Podcast One production. Now, believe it or not, US President Donald Trump is just about the only president in American history never to have a pet alongside him during his stay at the White House. That hasn't always been the case. US presidents throughout history haven't just had regular pets like dogs or cats. They've had some of the most bizarre animals there at the famous US residential address. So on this episode, we'll be taking a look at some of the most bizarre pets ever to live inside the White House and asking... Cat's pyjamas or cat's piss with the chaser. My name is Chris Taylor. I am joined by Dominic Knight, Andrew Hansen and Charles Firth. Any pet owners amongst us here? No, I I hate animals. (laughs) I have a dog that came with my wife that I didn't have a choice of, but I've grown to love the little fella. Do you feel like there's three in your relationship? Dogs occasionally, early in a relationship, let's just say they can get jealous and howl in inappropriate moments. Oh, no. Inappropriate moments. Is that what happens? I've never had this. I've had dogs in the past, but they've never been howling during inappropriate Are you sure you're doing it right, Dom? (laughs) And with the right You weren't doing it to the dog, were you, I hope? Because that would make a howl. And that that would be inappropriate. There's a a couple of interpretations. They're either looking on in envy, as Dom's characterised, and wanting to join in, or they're there at the scene under great concern um, for the, mm. your wife's well-being. That you know, maybe you know, like those St. Ber- Bernards. I think come to the aid of people who are sort of dying out in the hills. Maybe, Is that yeah. what the dog's doing in your bedroom? Yeah. I, maybe <laughs> the problem was you weren't doing it doggy style. Oh, oh God! I think the dog's going to be fantastic uh, for her actually after she divorces me because of this conversation. So look, I, I guess it's not a surprise um, that Trump isn't a dog owner, um, as Dom said. It would be very good for his presidency. I think a lot of people, you know, are concerned he's not the most human and warm of the uh, of the US president. Yeah, he doesn't really but, do compassion for other living creatures. Well, he's a germaphobe too, and I mm. think he'd be worried about, I don't know, hairs or disease. Being licked. Maybe. Mm. I, I imagine he would have had dogs in the past. He's but he, only ever he, had one dog with his first wife, Ivanka, and it was like the Dominic Knight situation. Ivanka's dog sort of came with the marriage. Mm. She loved it, but Don- Donald hated it, and apparently the dog hated Donald too. You know, like you know, like when <laughs> when you come home, some dogs are really happy and lapping and licking. it just barked the hell out of him. Like it was a very yeah. mutually and anim- anim- full of animosity relationship. Well, it, was, it was a warning, and it was a justified warning as well. Yeah, everyone well, should have listened yeah. to that dog. The dog was like, oh, no. Donald Trump's going to have sex with Marla Maples behind your mm. back." But he is, as I said, unique amongst presidents in not having an animal. And you might think, oh, they, you know, like Obama and I think like both Bushes, uh, there were always cuddly, cute dogs trotting around Pennsylvania Avenue there. But when you look at the history of pet ownership in the White House, it's far more interesting and bizarre than that. And first up, I want to introduce you to President Calvin Coolidge. Uh, it's a pity we don't have Chaz here in a way because he could give us all those stats about what number president they were. But you would have heard of Coolidge. Mm, yeah. He's, um, you hear him quoted from time to time. He's one of those people you only hear quoted. You know, like calendar desk quotes. Mm. Like every mm. half of them often come from Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they yeah. do. It's either him or Mark Twain is the other half, yeah, isn't it? It's true. It's no one else. Did anyone else do a quote I, I don't know if he did anything during his presidency other than just jot down aphorisms. Yeah. And that's probably, 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 probably enough. enough. For, for four years in the White House. It is. But and anyway, Coolidge loved animals. Absolute animal freak. Listen to this. He had six dogs, a cat, 
two lions, a goose, <laughs> no. a bobcat, an antelope, a <laughs> wallaby, and a raccoon named Rebecca. Why, why does only the raccoon have a name? Well, <laughs> well I, I, I don't know if that is the case, but we, we, it's the only one noted to have a name, except for this next one, which is the one I want to focus on of, um, of Coolidge's menagerie. Because he, he did almost have a virtual zoo. This is all at the White House. But he must have had cages or something to separate them because wouldn't the lions have eaten all the dogs? I believe there was a kind of... Uh, Eating problem. No, 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 a cage. Just oh, oh, a, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lions roaming free on the lawns. People are constantly trying to break into the White House and jump the fence and mm. stuff. That would have been fantastic. It would, because you do get the old yeah. security breach there, and that's because they've got rid of the lions. Maybe, it's a mistake. maybe that's why Coolidge had enough time to write down all those cool quotes, because no, everyone was too scared to actually <laughs> to, come to the White House. Yeah. Yeah. No one could yeah. come in to discuss policy. He was very uninterrupted. Yeah. It was luxury. Anyway, by far his most unusual pet was a pygmy hippo. What? Yeah. Now, there's quite a story oh. here. Um, the pygmy hippo also had a name called Billy. And Billy the Pygmy Hippo is a gift from millionaire mogul called Harvey Firestone. Now, if the if the surname Firestone rings mm. any bells, he was the millionaire mogul behind the Firestone Tire Company. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I think that may have become Bridgestone later on, but there was Firestone fires, which made a ton of money at the birth of the automobile industry in America. He found a baby Pygmy Hippo <laughs> roaming around the plains of Liberia when he was on a hunting trip. <laughs> and for some reason, he decided to keep the pygmy hippo. And not shoot it. Exactly. No one no one would have had a pygmy hippo mounted on their wall, would they? Well, well I think he fell in love with it in a bit. He almost thought it was too cute to shoot. There's a bumper sticker, yeah. too cute to shoot. It's going to be a website. So he, yeah. <laughs> um, so he, he, he <clears throat> sort of, well, I guess he smuggled him. He called him Billy and he brought him home. But when he stopped being cute... He got bored of him because Billy grew to 600 pounds <laughs> and over six feet long. And not only did that was a physical right. handful, but he was very expensive even for, well, a, for a millionaire to feed. This is what happens when you move to America. <laughs> you get very big. Yeah, the portion sizes, even for hippos, are just out of control. So he presented Billy as a gift to President Coolidge. Now, there's sort of some conjecture whether mm. it was... A, a, a nice gift or a bit of a shit sandwich. Yes. Like, because mm. I, I don't know what the relationship was between those two. Yeah. And I think they sort of thought, it, you know, like the days, you know, we talk about hazing rituals in university colleges. Yeah. I wonder if in the sort of entrepreneurial millionaire world, these are the sorts of pranks they played on each other. And it would have been in that, that sort of polite <laughs> era where it, w- it would have been impolite to refuse a yeah. gift. So, yeah. oh, thank you yeah. so much for this pygmy hippo. <laughs> I can't possibly yes. refuse just what I wanted. Mrs. Coolidge will be yeah. so pleased. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, there's would plenty you're... of room next to the lions, wallabies, gazelles, <laughs> antelopes. And raccoon named Rebecca. <laughs> would you wrap, if you're giving someone a pygmy hippo, do you, what's the gift wrapping there? <laughs> Like, <laughs> oh, I think just a bow. You, you wouldn't. You wouldn't try. You would have put it in a box. A, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, One box. The... Yeah, a cage, and then yeah, wrap big, it around. Maybe. Yeah. I like the bag. Oh, I'm a big fan of the giving the gift in the bag without having to seal it up. So the, at mm-hmm. least the pygmy hippo would be able to have air. Mm-hmm. Um, probably eat most of the bag, but I think it'd be a nice gesture. Anyway, well, so he <laughs> presented him to the Coolidge family. And the president, as Charles said, graciously accepted, not quite knowing what to do. He kept him, though, for the duration of his presidency and what was originally kind of awkward became sort of a talking point of his presidency. 
Um, the cartoonists had a field day, but most of America kind of fell in love with Billy. And Billy turned out to be incredibly virile. Um, well, <laughs> how did they know? Wasn't well, he on his own? Did he live with another hippo? No, it seemed they must have found a mate for Billy because mm. he, in his, in his lifetime at the White House, he fathered 23 <laughs> baby hippos. No, really? They seemed to bring other hippos in. Now, I don't know if they were, they must have been other pygmy hippos. Because could a pygmy hippo mate with a regular hippo? Yeah, yeah, I think so. They're, they're the same species. You know, size they're, doesn't count. Yeah, no, it comes to pygmy hippos. Anyway, that, that's practically, that must be the second largest number of White House impregnations behind Kennedy. Since or, yeah. Yeah, Kennedy or Clinton. <laughs> anyway, so it became, I mean, pygmy hippos were then and I think still are endangered, but Billy became a hero because pygmies <laughs> from, reversing because the he extinction. was so famous. Everyone brought what other, other known pygmy hippos were to the White House. Mm. He got 23 baby hippos in the process and it's believed to this day every single pygmy hippo in US zoos is a descendant of Billy the pygmy hippo. Oh, that's amazing. That's a wonderful story. It cat's is so pyjamas. Cats, yeah, cat's pyjamas or cat's piss, the idea of having a hippo at the White House. Well, I think this oh, is uh, – I'm going to say this is cat's piss because I think this is where the problem began – of the swamp in Washington. I, I think when you've got a hippo wandering around churning up the soil, you've got a giant swamp, uh, you've, you've got a, you, the, the fat cats, the over-bloated Washington bureaucrats. The pygmy hippo is basically a symbol for that. I say drain the swamp, send Billy back to where he came from, possibly south of the border, cat's piss. Back to Liberia. Back to Liberia. Yeah. Right. Wherever, wherever authority came from. Build the wall and put Billy on the other side of that thing. Charles? Look, I, I think that this is the mistake that, Barack Obama made. It wasn't a not having, not having a pygmy one. hippo in the White House. I think, you know, history would be very, very different if he'd had something like that for the public to concentrate on. I think he could have got Obamacare. Yeah, we could have got Obamacare. Mm. And, and, and no one would have questioned his yeah. African heritage yeah. if he had a native African yeah. animal. From like area. But, but because he doesn't have, you know, everyone yeah. just assumes he must be lying about his Kenyan birth because there was no hippo. Yeah. I don't think he had yeah. an elephant. <laughs> no. Did you ever see a giraffe <laughs> in, in his administration? No lines. <laughs> no not, lines. Not a single line <laughs> no. in his entire administration. Mm. Call yourself an African. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's cat's piss on that one. Yeah. Can we move on to Woodrow Wilson. Um, now, Woodrow Wilson was the president of the United States around World War I and having promised that he wouldn't send the US into war, he suddenly found himself a bit snookered and they did have to go into war and he said if they were going to go and support the Allied cause, it was going to be, they're going to be an economy drive, you know, you know, all shoulder to the wheel, rations, all that kind of thing. And he thought, where better to set an example than at home mm. to show where true budgeting and cost-cutting could take place. So he decided to sack all the landscapers <laughs> who did the gardens at the White House uh, during this time, which would be, I guess, 1915, round about there, 1914. Mm. So rather than pay expensive landscapers, he enlisted the help of a flock of sheep <laughs> and the sheep walked the White House lawns grazing <laughs> on trees Shrubs and grass. So you know the famous <laughs> yeah. gardens out the front. Yeah. Of the world, that was just if you the look rose at photos, garden. The rose garden was just full of a flock of sheep. <laughs> I, I think this is absolutely cat's pajamas. And it, like my school used to do this. The public school I went to um, when I was young in the sort of early nineteen eighties. Every summer they would have a couple of horses and a whole lot of sheep in the paddock. This is in. 
Pimble up on the north mm-hmm. shore of Sydney. Yeah, in the bush. And that's how they'd keep the, the grass cut over summer. Yeah, right. Wouldn't that be a great yeah. idea for Arlington National Cemetery, which is always so immaculate with mm. all the war graves there, the, the clipped lawns, and I'm sure they employ a huge number of, um, of, of groundskeepers to keep it that way. What, what if instead of that you just had yeah. sheep urinating on the odd grave, admittedly, but... Keeping everything nice did, and trim. Did they have a sheep sheep dip? Because if you keep sheep for any length of time, you need to have a sheep dip to keep the pests off the sheep. They, they must have had a sheep dip. I think they might have. Yeah. But what I, I didn't realise they were so good at keeping lawns mowed. Like, mm. like could, if, could Jim's mowing almost be done out of a job? It, yes. I think so. Or, or, or yeah. improve his business just instead of deploying... No, he'd have to go into mm. Jim's fencing because <laughs> the problem with sheep is they wander off. So you, everyone, right. you're right, you could do it, but everyone would have to have a fence. What if you had a sheepdog? So like Jim's mowing is basically just four mm. sheep and one dog. Yeah. And he just mm. sets them onto your backyard yep. for an hour. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or a well, sheep pig like Babe or a pygmy yep. hippo. Or a pygmy hippo. Herding the sheep. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to see? <laughs> Actually, you know, a cow might be better than a sheep because a cow eats an enormous amount of... Of yeah, grass every day. Environmental concerns with cows. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, methane and no, so forth. Mm. Haven't you heard climate change is a Chinese plot? Donald, Donald mm. Trump told me that. It's all fine. Andrew Hansen, uh, who saw pyjamas, sheep on their White House lawns? No, I, th- I think this really is cats' pyjamas. I mean, my, my wife's folks live on a, on, on a property. They, they use a donkey, actually, to keep the, <laughs> the grass short, and I'd, I wouldn't mind seeing that at the White House. I think any animals that you can... <laughs> Have in a government building are going to make it much more interesting to visit, for one thing. And if it keeps the gardens neat, I'd like to see all the gardens around the world uh, replaced with replace their gardeners with sheep. I'd like to see that at the Sydney Botanic Gardens. I think, uh, you know, the Tuileries in, in Paris <laughs> would be much better off if it was just a flock of sheep munching away on those on those uh, hedge, hedge mazes. I, I, I'd like to see sheep build those things too. I think it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. those manicured mazes you get at Hampton Court and stuff. Now, that, yeah, that's yeah. quite a job to give to a sheep to know... You know, Not only to get the, exact, the geometry, the geometry yeah. of those hedges, but to yeah. also have the ingenuity to carve out a brilliant, hard-to-solve maze. I'm not talking about hiring any old sheep, Chris. There'd uh, be an application process. Yeah, right. You know, the, the mm. sheep would have to prove his yeah. architectural skills, <laughs> and then <laughs> you get him to munch away the hedge yeah, maze. No, like him. Did the did the White House sheep have security clearance? Like, were they a security threat? I, th- I don't know. It was wartime. It's a very good question. I think we were all a bit mm. less concerned with security back well, then. Well, in those but days, I mean, they wouldn't have allowed any black sheep into the White House. <laughs> no. They were segregated. They had to be at the backyard. backyard. But, you know, you can imagine a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You could. Trying to get in there and, and just... <laughs> I, I've got some... Um, I've got a little bit more stats here. Among Wilson's favourite sheep um, was one called Old Ike. Um, That's such an American name. Named after another president, how respectful. I don't know how you choose a favourite sheep because they're quite indistinguishable sometimes, but he loved Old Ike. Old Ike was a large ram that was known for chewing tobacco when he wasn't on the job. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's fantastic. Known for... (laughs) If if the White House is full of sheep at all times, your state state banquet's sorted out, isn't it? Just send the butcher at the back. It would be, but that would be diminishing returns because you want to keep some of them, A, for doing the mowing, B, just for your tourist value because you've got old Ike chewing old tobacco. Ike's, yeah. <laughs> I'd go on a bus tour to see old Ike at work. Is there sure. any information on whether they ate them? 
Or, or ate the tobacco you... or ate the sheep? No, the sheep. Did they eat the no, sheep? No, they didn't. They didn't. This is the the denouement. Oh, well, firstly, uh, oh. piss or pyjamas on the tobacco. Should more oh. sheep be taking up nicotine? <laughs> it's cat's pyjamas. I love how you said he only chewed it when he wasn't <laughs> work. Like he knew. After a hard day chewing grass, he retired to the drawing room of the White yeah. House and lit a pipe. <laughs> See, this is the cleverness level I'm talking about yeah. for the hedge maze. Yeah. You want the sheep who knows his work. Working hours, and, <laughs> and he, knows, he knows what he can do after he knocks off. Yeah. I'll have a whiskey and some tobacco, thanks. <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm cat's piss on the on the tobacco. I want to see. I want to see sheep really gearing up. I want to see sheep taking cocaine and speed and really going for it, churning through grass like a motor mower and just absolutely <laughs> bouncing off the walls of the White House. That'd that be, probably, wouldn't that be great to see in the sort of 80s sheep? I was going to say the Reagan era, I think. Whatever pets were in the White House, <laughs> we're all your, doing that. Forget your wolf of War, Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. I want the sheep of Wall Street. <laughs> now, the, the, the sort of conclusion to this story was... The president got concerned that the the breeding of the sheep got out of hands and when they oh, reached a certain... A like, apparently the lawns of the White House were just awash with sheep by the end of the war. <laughs> mm. So it was sort of mission accomplished in one sense, but yeah. they, they got more than he bargained for. But it was a happy ending. He auctioned them all off and donated the proceeds to the salvos so, as part of the war effort. It was, you know, like the people buying the sheep... They were going to eat them, weren't they? Like, it's not all happy, is or, it? Or, or ransacking them for their tobacco stash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe they smoked them. Well, <laughs> well, tell you what, by the time, like, the time hold, yeah. like, his fleece would have been potent. Can you imagine? Yeah, imagine some jerky made out of old Ike. Do you reckon that's lovely. what old Ike was up to? He was like, he loved lamb <laughs> and he, he loved it smoked. He was pretending he was chewing tobacco. He, he was smoking he was, himself. He was working wood chips up to smoke some of his mates or himself. Now, another president who possibly even more than Coolidge was obsessed with animals was Teddy Roosevelt. He had many, many pets. Now, listen to his menagerie. He had a macaw. He had, <laughs> he had rats. He had On a, purpose? Yeah, he had a snake. But he's, his, his by, awful pets. By, rats no, no, no we're about to hit a nice one. By far his most beloved and famous pet was a calico pony named Algonquin. Oh, now uh, great name! <laughs> that's that's yeah. Yeah. like the like the supper club, like the round table at yeah, the right. Algonquin Hotel in New York with Dorothy Parker. Now, Algonquin belonged to the president's son Archie Roosevelt, who's possibly the only boy in history to demand a pony. And the reason I raise uh, the pony, who's obviously not as exotic as some of the animals we've heard so far, but there's a particularly <clears throat> legendary story involving Algonquin. When one day Archie Roosevelt was sick in bed with the measles and he loved his pony, he absolutely adored his pony, and he bribed one of the White House footmen to smuggle the pony up to his bedroom in the White House elevator. (laughs) And then the pony was led to Archie's room to cheer him up. But Archie was so happy to see the pony that he dived out of bed towards it, startling it and causing it to slip and fall. Many reports suggest the pony never quite recovered from the incident, but other reports suggest that the pony was fine and continued to spend many more happy years inside the White House bedrooms. So, so the idea of... <laughs> it just makes me, just makes me think that that wouldn't have been the only time a pony... Like, surely in the Clinton days, all the parties they had... You reckon he was bringing horses a bunch in? Of po- <laughs> a bunch of ponies would have been up there for sure. Horses in the White... Or ponies and horses in the White House. 
Cat's piss or cat's pyjamas? Uh, look, uh, sorry to be a bit of a party pooper on this, but this is cat's piss. Like, this is the place where you're supposed to do, you know, run the country from. You're supposed to have all the laws of the land. You're supposed to set a moral example. You can't just have horses in your son's bedroom. <laughs> well, I don't know a... if the lawmaking's going on in the bedrooms. If, if that's the private wing of the family. Yeah, yeah I'm, I agree. Cat's pyjamas. I think Baron's not trying hard enough. I mean, he's had to move to Washington against his will. It took him a while to get there. Little Baron Trump should be asking Daddy for a pony. The only thing you'll ever get out of his dad, Babs. Probably. But and are you telling me the, the royal family wouldn't have horses galloping around Buckingham Palace on, oh, a, yeah, on, they, on a quiet they, night? They, they do. Yeah. So they do. why can't Americans' royalty? Equivalent. Mm. Well, no, because because America is a democracy. Like, th- th- it's the ultimate symbol of privilege is to have a pony <laughs> in, in your, your bedroom. bedroom. In your bedroom. <laughs> in your child's bedroom. Yeah, that's that's right. certainly how Catherine the Great felt about it. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew? Yeah, it is that sort of thing, isn't it? So, Daddy, I want a pony. Here. And I want him in my bedroom. <laughs> I don't want him anywhere else. It's Very a special a, episode of Peppa Pig. I mean, po- post-Godfather, you wouldn't do it because we all know what happens to horses that end up in a bed. <laughs> Maybe, you know, this is where rocking horses came from. It, it, it was sort of like, he's got a pony in his bedroom. Can I have a pony in mine? And it's like, well, no, but you can have a rocking horse. You, you, know. well, you, you might be onto something there because I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm fairly sure the term teddy bear mm. comes is, from Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, teddy Because he, as I'm about to go on to, he also had a bear. And he loved bears and people were always giving him grizzlies as presents. Let me give you some information um, about Teddy and his bears. He, um, He was Republicans from West Virginia gave Teddy Roosevelt a black bear that was found in the wild and completely untamable. So, again, this was a bit of a prank. You know, this, yeah. you know, you've won the election. Congratulations! Here's an untamable bear, and it, they did intend it this time definitely as a sick joke. But Teddy wasn't laughing. In fact, he loved it. He put it on a leash and took it for walks around what? around oh, Washington. He fed it honey and nuts and was often seen roughhousing with the bear. So a bear is a pet. No. Oh, that's on a leash. Would you, if, if someone, if you were down at the park, Dom, walking your dog? And you saw another neighbour with a bear, cat's piss, cat's pyjamas. Well, I think I'd be absolutely terrified, but I think it's cat's pyjamas for presidents to have bears as pets on on leashes. Because if you look at what presidents do nowadays, they don't have bears as pets on leashes. Donald Trump watches cable news all the time and rage tweets. Bill Clinton has affairs with interns and Barack Obama plays basketball. None of those things are anywhere near as much fun or entertaining as having a bear as a pet. And imagine your negotiations with the Senate yes. or the Congress. Mm. You come into the meeting and suddenly the, the, bre- the bear's just growling outside the window. Mm. You, they, they wouldn't dare oh, stand no, up to you. No, no, you'd, you'd sit him down <laughs> next to you. <laughs> you would. And then you'd sort of threaten to un- de-leash it. Yeah. yeah Take off the leash. You're not going to support my budget? Tell it to the bear. Yeah. Because doesn't Trump famously have a button underneath his desk that can get him a Coke? Yeah. A Coca-Cola. A Diet Coke. Coke. He could have another button that would unleash the bear. (laughs) Yes. Like, I know we we talked about his anti-dog, but if (laughs) if anyone told him there was the option to have a wild grizzly just on call whenever you wanted to win a negotiation... He'd never need to tweet again. And the good thing is a bear <laughs> is very Russian. So he, oh, he, oh, that's true, the Russian bear. Would it yeah. be collu- if, there, if it was a Russian yeah. bear, oh, the Liberal media would have a field day, wouldn't they? <laughs> now, he wasn't the only president to have a bear, as I mentioned. Um, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, he had two bear cubs at the he White House with him. Seriously? What's with these bear presidents? Uh, well, <laughs> and when they grew too big, um, he arranged to have them taken to a museum. 
He put them in cages on the lawns of the White House awaiting their collection for the museum. But bureaucracy was so slow in those days that they were on the White House lawns in their cages for months. And eventually they escaped. (laughs) No one to this day knows where those bears went. Oh, Oh my God. The only exciting thing ever to happen in Washington, (laughs) D.C. So if you're out there and you've seen a bear... uh, Don't you wish that had happened in the era of cable news? I know. Because that would have been the best oh, thing, the, the helicopters. Yeah. yeah, the OJ yeah. Totally. treatment. Bears on the loose. I, I love how different the presidential security must have been back back in the days when the president used to be allowed to roughhouse with a bear <laughs> and, and, and they were kept on the lawn unable to escape. I mean, how lax was, was things back then? It must have been well relaxed, I suppose. It was yeah, just very relaxed. It's so true. These days they can barely visit a restaurant without the Secret Service doing seven sweeps of it and frisking every single diner. Yes, but they're just back then you could roughhouse with a bear. It was a wonderful better time wasn't it? Mm. Now, um, we move on to John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of the United States, so very, very early on in the uh, in the Federation, and he had a pet alligator, believe it or not. <laughs> now, this where, is... Where? Well, this is a beautiful story. Uh, this was a gift, again. <laughs> it seemed like no one just went down to the pet shop back well, in those days. They all... I guess they used their... Status. I mean, you were receiving gifts a lot. From I feel Australia's not trying hard enough. We give them, I mean, at one point we gave Barack Obama, I think, an iPod full of Australian bands. We're giving him bloody John Farnham on iPod. We should be giving him deadly animals. Why dingo. are we sending yeah. a dingo, brown snakes? I know. I know. We need to bring the, the, the animal gift back in. This was a gift from the Marquis de Lafayette, who was a very well-known French general who led the troops during the American Revolution. And while visiting the White House, he gave John Quincy Adams a pet alligator. Full size. Full size. Now, Adams is said to have been puzzled by the gesture (laughs) and even more more puzzled when asked what he would do with the creature. I think, again, with a bit of sort of (laughs) cheekiness going on here between the French and the Americans, Lafayette just expected it to be an awkward social thing for him to deal with. Once again, though, the American president surprised everyone. He decided to put it in the bathtub of the East Room bathroom <laughs> in the White House. Well, that would have surprised everyone, <laughs> especially the people wanting a bath. But it did. Well, well listen, because at first it was a bit of a nuisance to all staff and residents of the White House to have a gator take up the whole bathroom. But after a while, Adams is said to have actually enjoyed his new pet. And when future visiting dignitaries would ask to use the restroom, he would prank them by directing them to the bathroom with the alligator, watch as they ran out of the bathroom in terror, and he'd laugh like a maniac. So, presidents doing pranks. Huh? Cats piss or cats pajamas. This just goes to show that Steve Irwin would have been a magnificent president of the United States. He would have been. <laughs> I, look, I think it's cats pajamas having presidents pull pranks. You know how they, they occasionally do a funny video when it's their last day in the office or, yes. you know, maybe one. Turkey pardoning is always a bit yeah. wacky. But, you know, like full on, you know, I'm talking Steve-O or, um, you know, jackass, jackass type pranks. Have someone be eaten alive in front of you by an alligator. Mm. That would be so cool, especially in this day and age where you can actually have it on TV. I think it would be very popular. I think it would make, it would, re- it would be the first 
genuine reality president. Excuse me. <laughs> it would, Excuse yeah. me. We are in the middle of a giant presidential prank. Donald Trump as president <laughs> of the United States, that prank was invented by the Simpsons <laughs> writers about 20 years That's ago. That's true. When Donald Trump started to run, that was a prank. He was joking. Mm. And the joke's now on, on him and all of us. But that, uh, credit to him, this is a massive prank gone wrong. You're absolutely right, Tom, but wouldn't it be great? Like we saw this year... Um, the historical meeting between Trump and Kim Jong-un in mm. North Korea. What that meeting was missing, though, was an alligator suddenly brought out <laughs> uh, as part yeah. of the negotiations and eating one of them. I don't care which one, but as Charles said, that would get people interested in politics and believing in the system again. But also, you've got the entire military-industrial complex behind you to pull off a prank. Like, it doesn't have to be one alligator now. No. You could you've actually fly them in. You could fly in, mm. you know, you could drop 100 them. alligators. You could rain drop alligators them, yeah. down on Pyongyang. Like a sharknado of alligators. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that's right. What do you think, Hanso? <laughs> I, think, I think that's... Not called a shark nado of alligator. I think that's called an alligator nado, um, Dommy. Just I'd hate to correct you on your terminology there. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> Are you presidential pranks? No, oh, look, I, I look. I think it's a bit of cat's piss. It, it sort of makes me feel like um, I'm wat- watching Ashton Kutcher as the as the <laughs> president um, in. <laughs> In an episode of that prank, you know. As soon uh, as you bring Ashton Kutcher into any debate, you win, you win. I think. It's very hard to argue against that. <laughs> yeah, right. He probably would, will be the next president. I'd mm. like to think John Quincy Adams was operating at a higher level than Ashton Kutcher. Mm. Well, it doesn't sound to me with his gator pranks. <laughs> I mean, but he actually, so he directed people to go to the toilet with them and there was an alligator in there. That could have caused extraordinary damage. I could imagine, like, you know, diplomats from Europe running out with an alligator gnawing at their balls. This could have been disaster. Like, this is the era in which America ended up becoming the world's greatest superpower. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps this is why. This is why, yeah. See, but in, like, The Simpsons or whatever, Mr Burns always has, like, a pit full of alligators and, and there's a joke that, you know, he presses a button. Yeah. But this guy, Quincy Adams, actually had a bathroom full of the real thing. It's fantastic. Well, just, just one. Yeah, it's one alligator, but... Um, you don't need more than one. No, one does the job. To intimidate, I feel. We're going to finish with Andrew Jackson, who's a president that probably doesn't get that much attention. He's Trump's favourite president. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. What does Trump like about Mr Jackson? I think he got elected without winning the popular vote, just like oh, Donald right, Trump. And, and also he was he was a, an outsider who wanted to drain the swamp and... Was massively was racist. A, hmm. Yeah, and was he sort of flamed out as well. Oh, well, that's very yeah. interesting in light of... Um, his pets. Now, com- compared to his, compared to the other presidents we've discussed, his taste in animals was much more conservative. He had five horses, two roosters, and a parrot. Now, although not unusual, the parrot, named Polly, had a very unusual personality, because Polly learned to swear. <laughs> and, and often throw insults at the president and his friends. <laughs> Polly was Jackson's favourite pet by far. And she was even brought to his funeral, but this is absolutely true, the parrot had to be removed from the funeral because she immediately started shouting curses at all the attendees. <laughs> well, you know, the stages of ang- grief include anger. Maybe the parrot was just grieving. Polly was in a lot yeah. of pain. Imagine what Polly could have done on Twitter, though. If Polly could have had the chance to tweet. Maybe that's where the, the term tweet came from. So, unfortunately, no stenographer or uh, historian has recorded recorded some of Polly's gems. But oh. just the concept of a president owning a, a parrot with Tourette's <laughs> and mouthing off at a, at a presidential memorial, cat's piss or cat's pyjamas? 
Well, I think I mean this is unanimously. No one would say this is cat's. This is cat's pajamas. This makes. I can see why. Jackson is Trump's favourite, but he's my favourite president now, now that I've heard this. Um, Yeah, I'd love to see more leaders with a swearing parrot. Was it wrong to evict the parrot from the service? I mean, wouldn't Jackson, who loved this bird so much, have loved him not only to be there but possibly to give the eulogy? I I mean, if you've got a bird that can talk, use Mm. it. Get it to give statements. Get it to do Mm. your your press spokesperson. (laughs) <laughs> Could it be worse than Sean Spicer? <laughs> well, actually, you talk of Sean Spicer, the greatest moment in his White House career didn't come during the Trump administration. He uh, dressed up as a bunny during the George Bush administration. It's a great photo. It's on right? the Yeah, yeah. Is the one thing <laughs> yeah. actually did well at the White House was um, turn up on uh, on Easter Sunday with Easter eggs dressed as a bunny. So, look, there we have just a, a very brief history of some of the odd animals that have occupied America's most famous address. I guess just in conclusion uh, in this podcast, I just sort of want you to take everything you've learnt over the last half hour or so and and have that in mind when we look at the current occupant of Mm. the building. Would his president be weirder or less weird if some of these animals were to join him in that building today? See, I think it wouldn't affect his weirdness level at all if tomorrow he just announced... Right, I've moved a, I've moved 20 different animals into the White House. I'm now <laughs> going to be living here with a hippo, a wallaby, an, ant- an alligator, a bear. I mean, that would just be another day for Donald Trump. Yeah, and I, it, I don't it think it would make any difference to the way we perceive it. Would him. And it, it would be a normal day. It would just be a normal day. It wouldn't even be a full day in the news cycle. It, no. would, it would take up no. six hours yeah. and then something else would happen. Totally. Yeah. And then we, yeah. three weeks later we go, oh, yeah, he, he had a shark in the Oval Office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then somebody would find a really old tweet he sent three years ago saying, yeah. No president should ever have 20 animals in the White House. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we have it. A little look at uh, some of the unusual pets that have occupied uh, the lives of American presidents and the building they live in. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope you can join us next time. Cat's Pyjamas or Cat's Piss with The Chaser was written and presented by The Chaser. Created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Alex Mitchell. Sound production by Darcy Thompson and Matt Nikolich. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search Cat's Pyjamas on Apple Podcasts.